All right. Welcome to Cisco Champions Radio, everybody, Season 5, Episode 8. Today we'll be talking about Cisco Tetration with Jossie Prakash. Our Cisco Champion hosts today are Martin Schoenbacher and Huvard Nihos. As for me, I'm Brianna Jordan from the Cisco Champion Program Team and Cisco Influence Marketing Team, and I'll be playing the part of the moderator today. Um, okay, Jossie, can you please introduce yourself and let us know what your role is at Cisco? Definitely. Thank you, uh, Brenna. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Jody Prakash. I'm a product manager at Cisco, part of the Tetration Analytics product management team. All right. Thanks, Jossie. Now, Martin and Huvard, who are you, where are you, and what do you do? Hi. My name is Martin Schubacher. I'm a data center architect for Actions in Austria, working mostly with ACI, Tetration, and everything with network uh, automation. Hi, my name is uh, Hovanius. I um, work for a consultancy company in Norway called Kansha. Uh, I'm a data center architect as well. Uh, my background is in uh, data center networking primarily, but I also dabble in UCF and hardware like that kind of thing, and recently got into Tracing as well. Cool. Thanks, guys. All right. Well, we can go ahead and start. Uh, Martin, if you would, please take it away. Uh, yeah. Sure. Um, the first question I would have is like, what's the idea behind titration? How was it born, and how long took it to the pro for the product to get ready for the market? And definitely, uh, Martin, very good question, uh, right? So if you look at a um, few years back, right, when all the uh, micro segmentation and the segmentation as a concept started evolving within the data center space. Uh, we had um, many customers start embarking on that segmentation journey, including customers who started deploying ACI um, with the whitelist policy. But soon what uh, everybody realized is nobody knew what was running in the data center. What should the segmentation policy be for applications because they didn't have a blueprint of the applications, right? And there was no system that could uh, provide that whitelist policy information uh, in an automated fashion and then keep it up to date, so all that. So basically what was missing from a segmentation was that policy uh, management uh, point. So that's that's where it started. So uh, when, and then uh, the titration, when we brought in uh, to address the things was to simplify the journey into that segmentation for our customers. And uh, the whole um, initiative actually started like about 24 months before, approximately 24 months before our first launch. If you remember the launch that we did uh, in 2016 of June, uh, about rewind two years before that, that's when the whole initiative was started and it took us to get to that 1.0 and then bring it to the market and then evolve the product from there on. And uh, we have been shipping for almost uh, two years now, I would say. Uh, come July, actually, it will be uh, two years. Okay. What are the use cases that you uh, usually see the tracing being um, positioned for? Um, is it just the mapping of the um, uh, applications in the data center to uh, um, get to your micro-segmentation, uh, or are there other use cases in there as well? Yeah, there are a number of uh, use cases that Tetration addresses as a platform itself. But if you look at when we started off, right, the, the creating that application blueprint and getting to that uh, whitelist policy 
uh, that was the initial use cases that a lot of the customers were interested in because l large enterprises like financial customers, healthcare, and public sector had this requirement to secure their data centers uh, using segmentation as one of the approaches, right? You, because you need to contain the lateral movement. So we started there. And once we added um, the enforcement capabilities where you can enforce the policies directly on the workloads itself, and a lot of the customers started um, adding those capabilities into that. So that is the primary use case so far. But if you look at in the last six months or so, what we have done is expand those use cases to provide more uh, network insights as well. So what is happening within the uh, network infrastructure by tying in the hardware sensor capabilities or even by uh, adding algorithms to identify bottlenecks so uh, and uh, where, whereby uh, operations team could reduce their mean time to innocence. So we have expanded the use case, but a lot of the customers have deployed the platform when they begin with this. Uh, the, the interesting thing is how do I get on that segmentation journey and then add additional security features as we go on. But network insights is also other primary drivers that the network teams are interested in. Okay, so the next question from Marcel would be, um, is the ACI the biggest reason for, as a, as a business driver behind titration, or are there a lot of uh, titration deployments where there is no Cisco switching hardware involved? Very good question. So if you look at titration, as a platform, it is completely infrastructure agnostic, right? It is independent of what type of infrastructure a customer has, uh, whether it is a Cisco, non-Cisco, on-prem, public cloud, private cloud, virtual machine, bare metal or containers, doesn't matter. Uh, so it is independent. Actually, if you look at it, our largest deployment is um, a, basically a customer with a completely non-Cisco uh, shop. Right, so that's the uh, non-Cisco data center. So that's our largest deployment today. Uh, that said, right, with ACI, uh, there are advantages where you can have enforcement at the fabric level. You can have um, a multi-layer security with the with the uh, segmentation at the host uh, workloads as well as at the fabric-based uh, enforcement. And also that ACI was one of the drivers from where from an initiative standpoint because with, when we uh, when we um, started ACI, when customers started using ACI, they realized the pain point of uh, not being able to have that policy. So it was one of the key drivers in the initiative. We work with ACI, and we provide that policy information to ACI. But uh, from a titration platform perspective, it is completely independent of the infrastructure. Cool. Um, so there are multiple um, types of that. Um, looking at the big one, Titration M, Titration V, mm -hmm. um, and also the software as a service uh, that you came out with uh, just a few days ago. Um, could you explain some of the differences between these options? Uh, absolutely. Um, is it just a sizing thing, or what's going on there? Uh, absolutely. So if you look at uh, the broader high-level grouping of these uh, deployment options, uh, one is an there. There are two high-level options, right? One is the on-prem deployment option. The other is the SaaS. So when you go into on-prem, customers have different uh, data center uh, types and di uh, different sizes of data center, right? Multiple data centers as well. 
So that's where uh, the um, the appliance form factor and uh, and the the titration we all that come into play. So from the appliance, if you look at it, for large data centers or very large data centers where customers have more than 5,000 workloads, um, in some cases actually we do have customers who are having 20 or 30,000 workloads as well. So there, the larger appliance, the 39 RU appliance, really uh, is a sweet spot because it can support up to each appliance can support up to 25,000 workloads, can scale up to like two million flows per second, all that. And if you for medium-sized data centers, uh, less than 5,000 workloads, but still they need a, a guaranteed performance and larger retention and all that, Titration M is an ideal option there, So, which is a six-server form factor. Um, and uh, uh, we, um, it's, it's, it gives a good footprint, less than five, it can support up to 5,000 workloads, and it can do 500K flows per second, all that. So it's good for that medium-sized uh, deployments. And if you look at titration V, the virtual the virtual option, there are um, it can be deployed in a ESXi based um, environment, so customer can bring their own hardware and then uh, uh, deploy it. Can run in Azure or it can run in AWS. So if a customer is predominantly AWS customer and they want to have titration, they don't need anything on prem. They can spin up titration in um, AWS, and they can still manage and operate uh, that. Uh, so it's, it, these things can support up to like 1,000 workloads, and then uh, uh, like 100, 200K flows per second. So you have uh, that titration be suitable for smaller deployments or in uh, public clouds if the customer wants to spin up something. The SaaS is um, ideal if a customer is ready to consume software as a service, ready to stream the telemetry, and uh, want to get started very quickly. So in SaaS is ideal, right? Even for, doesn't matter whether it's a smaller deployment option or large deployment, actually with the SaaS, today in the, the current version that we announced supports up to 25,000 servers on the SaaS. Each customer can bring that as well. So, um, or on the low end actually can be as low as 100 servers. So SaaS, they don't need anything on site uh, from a hardware perspective, or uh, they don't have to deploy titration on site. The only thing they need to do is deploy the software agents on the on their servers and then stream the telemetry uh, to our hosted environment, and then they will have uh, they can realize the benefits of titration much quickly. So SaaS is an ideal option for those uh, type of deployments. So we have these multiple form factors, predominantly on-prem and SaaS. Within the on-prem, depending on the data center size, customers can choose the various form factors that suits them best. Just to follow up on that question, uh, or on that answer a little bit. Yep. Um, you were mentioning um, workload there. So what constitutes a workload? So when, when we say, okay, the workload for us is a, a VM or a, mm -hmm. a bare metal server, or a container host, right? Okay. So that's that's um, that's an a workload uh, that we categorize as, and uh, um, so they, we have software sensors that are available that can run on these environments, and uh, we can collect, or we, we can uh, titration, can collect the telemetry, and then do the analytics and all that. And, and that's also how the system is licensed as well. Are you workloads? 
That, that is correct. Um, basically, it is licensed as workload equivalent. The re reason we use that equivalent term is there are multiple ways customers can collect telemetry. So when, you, when a customer uses software sensors, then it is, um, it is um, much more easier to track. But we do have other uh, telemetry collection options from the switches, from ER span um, sensors. We do have, we have now uh, also bring, we, we have now brought in the NetFlow sensors as well. So there are other options as well. So we go by workload equivalent. So the number of workload equivalent, there is certain workload equivalent quantity that we use for easier licensing purposes that gets associated for hardware sensors when it's 9K or ESPAN sensors. So we have those. Right. And same thing with container hosts as well, I would guess. Container that is correct. Workloads. That is correct. It, that is correct. Okay. Okay, I have another follow-up that goes in the same direction for the virtual deployment options. Mm -hmm. um, is it the same with that one service that you have to book two weeks with that one service? Or is this model different organized in terms of um, deployment? See, the advanced services option for the, uh, in general, if you look at it, advanced services option, a customer can select different options for, um, uh, there are different options depending on the level of engagement that they want to uh, do, right? And we, there is a starter package that we have today that goes with the hardware appliance and uh, which enables uh, customers to get started very quickly. But if you look at it, there is also an add-on option on the advanced services to augment that start, quick start service if customer wants more. But what we are doing on the titration as a uh, software as a service, as well as for the virtual option, um, the AS team is coming up with um, with even a slimmer deployment option, if you will, and that is in the works, I would say. So that is uh, controlled by our advanced services team, so they need to get their approvals. Uh, and uh, once that is available, yeah, customers can even uh, can even select that, uh, I would say, even a slimmer option of the AS with the titration V and titration SAS. But yeah, that we, we will come out with that shortly. Okay, thanks. And the next question from my side is, is there any plans to offer titration as a service also outside from the U.S.? So that, for example, the titration cluster where the data is streamed to is located in Europe or Asia? The, okay, so the, let me give from a broader answer. So titration software as a service today is available globally, right? Meaning customers can order a service, doesn't matter where they are. Actually, as a matter of fact, we are uh, getting now deals from even the uh, Latin America on that side. Uh, but the main thing is right now where we are hosting is in the U.S., but we do have plans depending on what the pipeline and everything that's come from the other region. We do have plans to expand this into Europe and Asia Pac as well. So both those regions will be, um, are they, um, we will spin up something there depending on the pipeline and uh, the size and all that. But yes, and especially if customers have data sovereignty requirements, we will look into that and then we, um, we can uh, spin up. The main thing is actually since we are 
using uh, IaaS, Infrastructure as a Service Provider here, we can spin up things much more quickly. That's the, that's the main advantage. Thanks. I think that's sort of a good segue into uh, something a little bit more technical, mm -hmm. um, which uh, is the fact that I, I know the situation a little bit from before. So you're actually just sending a small payload metadata of the packets. So in essence, you shouldn't, there shouldn't be a risk of any uh, data leakage by sending it to the US, right? So when, uh, can you elaborate a little bit what you mean by data leakage? Or like uh, the payload of the packet, you, you will never send out of the host any of the actual payload of a packet, right? You're just gathering metadata and headers around the actual um, that, that is correct. data stream. That is correct. So titration uh, collects metadata from the packet header. So we don't even capture the full header as it is, right? We collect the metadata and uh, we don't look into the payload. So there is no uh, chance that a payload information gets to the cluster. Right. So uh, Martin, do you have anything more on, the, um, on that bit? Um, sure, for the hardware sensor, uh, or for the software sensor, um, how is the sensor hardened that it's um, that the customer can be sure it's not interfered from outside or from anything else? So, uh, what security measures are in place there? So, the software sensors actually it's designed um, with uh, with the security in mind, and uh, the way um, and if you look at our software sensors, you can download the software sensor to be deployed in an environment only after the titration platform is deployed, right? Only that, so you download the sensor install from the platform itself. The primary reason there is um, the software, the, the install RPMs are generated at runtime, which includes the certificates and authentication certificates and everything that's required for the sensors to connect to the cluster. So the sensor can connect only to that only to that titration cluster. So that kind of checks and balances are in place through the certificate-based authentication uh, mechanisms uh, today. And if you go deeper into the sensor uh, itself, if you look at it, there, there is privilege separation uh, that is there, and uh, that ensures that only the lower privilege process talks, out, talks outside to the cluster, the higher privilege process that's uh, running and accessing or configuring the IP tables or collecting the metadata from the packet is shielded. So that is those are those privilege separations are taken care of. And plus um, the the directories that uh, we that that the titration sensor touches on is also controlled. So basically, a lot of security thought has gone into uh, into the uh, sensor itself to make it uh, foolproof from the security standpoint. And um, yeah, the, 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 that are the, those are the, the key things here. And the, for example, the enforcement process that configures the IP tables, it's completely jailed with, um, uh, with all the controls in place. So it cannot talk outside. So those type of controls are 
uh, already uh, in place. And the sensors have been used as best as well in, in the Linux? Yes, that is correct. The sensor... Or, or in Windows, Windows equivalent. So, the, yeah, the sensor actually runs in the user space, so customers don't have to modify or do any modification on the kernel side. And plus, um, in, in all of our deployments, if you look at it, the, it doesn't require any reboot. Uh, after deploying the sensor, it doesn't require any reboot. It doesn't, uh, even the upgrades don't require reboot. So it's highly uh, optimized, and they monitor themselves uh, both from, uh, and we also track the, the sensor overhead, CPU overhead, bandwidth overhead from each of the sensors. Everything is tracked at the cluster level. And uh, the activity uh, is tracked at the cluster level. Right. And, and what uh, operating systems are supported currently with uh, the sensors that are there? The, if you look at uh, the, the deep visibility and the enforcement capabilities on the sensors, we support uh, predominantly all major distributions of Linux. Uh, Red Hat, CentOS, Oracle Linux, SUSE, Ubuntu, all that, um, and Windows servers, Windows Server 2008, various flavors of it, Windows Server 2012, and Windows Server 2016. So uh, these are the predominant uh, server models that are supported. We do have certain sensors that are available um, for AX and Solaris 11 and so on, uh, but those are um, not enforcement-based, but that is for some certain visibility to complete the uh, the, uh, the the dependency and policy aspect uh, for it. Uh, but the the deep visibility, if you look at it, predominantly all major Windows and Linux distributions, and we also support uh, container host OS as well. So that's Linux flavored today. Um, all um, like pretty much major uh, Linux uh, container host. Um, let me jump in here. Um, what's the performance impact that the software sensor generates? So the, uh, the performance, there, there are two things, right? One is the uh, performance overhead that the software sensors add, but the second thing is also like how we govern the SLA on that. So from so, uh, titration standpoint, the way the uh, sensor is designed is to ensure that it, the software sensors don't impact the application performance. And to do that, what we have done is, out of the box, we have capped the CPU threshold for the uh, software sensors. And the administrators do have the ability to configure a lower threshold also. And the sensors monitor itself, and it guarantees that it will not exceed that configured threshold on the CPU. And the, the other thing is, if you look at the history, average history across all customer deployments, including Cisco IT that we have done testing with where they have tens of thousands of software sensors deployed, the average overhead, a CPU overhead that the software sensor adds is less than 0.5%. So uh, it's very minimal. Customers won't even see uh, that it exists. And with that, actually, we do provide all the not just collect the packet telemetry, but we also collect the process data. We collect the software package inventory for vulnerability tracking. All that is done within the threshold that is configured, and the default cap is less than 3%, right? So that's where we cap it at. But if you look at our average um, CPU overhead, it is less than 0.5%.
uh, follow-up for this one. Um, is it also possible if the customer wants to make sure that every traffic is captured so that he can also raise the performance that the software sensor can take? Uh, absolutely, they can. Uh, if they see that uh, sensor is throttling itself by uh, and for whatever reason, if it is a heavily loaded uh, server uh, and uh, the sensor is throttling itself by missing telemetry collection, then they can raise the threshold as well to give a higher percentage if they, they would like. But we haven't hit that scenario with any of the customers so far. Oh, yeah. I'll go ahead now. Okay. So does saturation SAS have feature parity with the on-prem version? Um, are there other use cases where SAS isn't a good fit besides deployment size? So the titration SaaS, if you look at it, um, we support software to, um, in the first in the initial this thing. We support software sensors only. So um, in the titration SaaS, we are not supporting hardware sensors. There are technical reasons for it, uh, and uh, there are other type of sensors we will start to support uh, in the future, ER span and NetFlow. But uh, today we are starting with the software sensors, and whatever features are available with the software sensors on Tetration platform today is available through Tetration SaaS. So um, there, is, uh, there is no difference there. So if a customer wants to use that for workload protection capabilities uh, to be able to provide um, the, the policy segmentation, to, to be able to detect the vulnerability, process behavior, all that, the, all those are available as well. And the network insight capabilities that are available through the software sensors can be used on the titration SaaS as well. Um, going a little bit more back to the, the software sensor, because I think that the software sensor is a very integral part to the whole system. It's basically where all the magic kind of happens as soon as you're on the host, at least. Um, and with the enforcement capability, uh, how secure are we? Can, is it just a thing where you block ports, or uh, can it be more? So with the enforcement capability, what happens is um, the, the, uh, the enforcement um, process, basically the pro policy information comes from titration platform. And uh, the titration platform normalizes the policy for each workload that is part of that application. and. Um, the sensor then will receive that policy from the titration platform, and all this communication is encrypted, uh, right? And uh, mm -hmm. then the titration sensor uh, programs the policy or the IP tables or the firewall rules based on the policy information. And the, not only that, actually this, um, the titration sensor from that point on keeps track of the policy state. So on a minute-by-minute -minute basis, it uh, reconciles or checks uh, or sends that policy state to the titration cluster to ensure that, um, that there is no deviation from what the policy should be to what it is there on the server. So that reconciliation happens constantly. And not only that, actually, we, uh, titration um, identifies if somebody tries to modify the, the policy outside of the uh, of the titration platform itself. So if, um, let's say, the ideal environment, titration should be the uh, the controlling entity for the IP tables. 
in that case, you have full control and the titration will revert those changes back to any of the policy changes that are done outside of the titration cluster, it will immediately revert it back, right? But we do give a capability in some scenarios where, or for a, even for a certain group of servers, um, customers can customers may have a set of policies that they may ha already be using or configured in the IP tables of those hosts. And if there are two options that we provide in that scenario, one option is they can bring those policies into titration platform and then merge it seamlessly and then have titration control that. So we do provide importing those type of either um, it can be blacklist or it can be predefined whitelist based on the organizational requirements. We call it as the big P policy, the business policies. And that can be integrated, then titration can control that. Or if customers want to control that on their own separately outside of titration, they can put those sensors in what is we call it as a preserve mode. So in those scenarios, what happens is titration will only manage its set of rules. And anything outside of it, it won't touch. So it will allow you to preserve it. So we do provide that knob as well. So if a customer wants that, that capability always exists. Martin? Yeah, sure. Um, I'll take the next one. <clears throat> if you use the uh, hardware sensor or any third-party um, source of information that streams data to titration, um, how is this integration going from a technical side? So when you say third-party uh, sensors, are you uh, referring to Oh, for example, NetFlow, um, NetFlow information that's coming to titration. Okay. So with the latest release of the software, um, what we have done is actually we provide the capability to ingest NetFlow natively into titration. So we have a, a, customers can spin up an out-of-band OVA, and uh, we have what is called as a NetFlow sensor, and they can put that NetFlow sensor inside that OVA and have the NetFlow records come to that sensor, which will then convert that into titration telemetry and then send it to the titration platform. So we can ingest it, but the key caveat is the NetFlow is not as rich as what titration natively collects from the software sensors or even the hardware sensors. So uh, it can be useful for augmentation purposes and in other cases, actually, we do have another option, which is called the ER span sensors. So if a customer has certain environment like mainframes or some other systems where they cannot put software sensors or hardware sensors, they can use the ER span mechanism, do a packet, copy of the packet, and then send it to these out-of-band ER span sensors. That will generate the titration telemetry. This ER span sensor telemetry is almost equivalent to what the software sensor would do from a packet data perspective. But still, you won't get the process data. You won't get the, uh, the other information that is available through the OS. But at the network layer information, you'll be able to get. So this uh, option is much more preferable, especially when you are using um, the information or the telemetry for policy purposes, because policy uh, is, uh, requires much more granular data. And the accuracy of the, the policy directly is proportional to the, how uh, um, the, the granular the data is, right? So that is, that is the main reason there, uh, that we are able to, we have these additional options 
to stream the telemetry, and those are all supported now, and the customers can use this. And uh, depending on the use case, actually, we recommend what the right option could be. And uh, if it is if it is uh, network insights, then we have certain recommendations of using the hardware sensor. If it is our policy, then software sensors or ER span sensors would be even better option. Um, for the um, ER span sensor, the virtual machine you're needing to get the data into titration, what kind of um, CPU memory size does that one need? Actually, we don't. Um, as I said, uh, we don't put a specific system requirements for software sensor itself uh, because um, it's very small footprint. It's very low. Um, so uh, as I we cap the CPU at 3% out of the box, right? And uh, the bandwidth is also very, very low. It is typically uh, less than 2% of the actual data from which we collect telemetry from. So uh, it's, that, uh, it's that straightforward. So we don't have specific system requirements for software sensors itself because it's very low footprint. Uh, no, I meant the virtual machine you're running. Oh, these virtual machines that are, yeah, yeah, yeah. So these are, um, these are either, depending on whether you are using NetFlow sensor or ESPAN sensor, these are either uh, uh, 4V CPUs or 8V CPUs with uh, 4 gig or 8 gig RAM and a very small hard drive. So because we don't store anything natively within those VMs, it is primarily for extracting the telemetry and then uh, sending the telemetry out to the titration platform. So it is very small footprint on these VMs. And plus, this is horizontally scalable. So depending on the network throughput that you are going to bring into this VM, you can just spin up additional VMs to just distribute the load. Howard? Yeah, um, this is all going to be a lot of sensors, isn't it? Um, the hardware sensors, is it uh, just for ACI, or can we run hardware sensors in non-ACI network, for example? So the hardware sensors are typically hardware capability. So it is a flow cache built into the ASIC of the switch, and that exposes the telemetry out. So if you look at the broader cable, uh, the perspective, it is, um, it is independent of whether it is ACI or an XOS. Uh, but there are, but titration does depend on the software capability to get some correlation information. So the objects and other things to provide the mapping. And uh, so we, titration platform needs that in order to be able to correlate those, uh, those flows together on the platform and then through the algorithm. So that's where certain differentiation comes in because Today, the ACI, the capability is more from the software standpoint, so we provide all the, uh, net, uh, all the um, uh, network insight capabilities like hop-by-hop -hop information, hop-by-hop -hop, uh, latency, hop-by-hop -hop, uh, the packet drop indicators, burst detection, uh, all that with the ACI today, uh, because ACI had those software capabilities added in much quickly, NXOS, it is coming up. So I would have, uh, I cannot comment on the timeline yet, uh, but yes, the capability will be in parity at some point. But, uh, and the hardware that uh, we're talking about here is the Nexus 9K series, right? It is, it is Nexus 9K. Uh, there are certain differences in uh, different hardware models. It, it's hardware evolution, right? EX9300EX was the first platform which had that flow cache capability. 
and then uh, the 90, now we have the 9300 FX and the FX2. So those have slightly higher capabilities on the flow cache within the ASIC. So there are a lot more that we can do with the network insights when you have those platforms when compared to the uh, EX. So the, a lot of the hop-by-hop information that I mentioned actually uh, is available with the 9300 FX because of the flow cache hardware capability there. Okay, um, yeah, the next thing I have is for the third-party integrations. Um, what kind of third-party integrations are, are systems that could take data via the API from titration are most common, are available? What can you tell us about that? Absolutely. So uh, titration uh, provides open interfaces for um, our third-party partners as well as other Cisco products to integrate with. Right, so we have REST API uh, for all the queries and other things. We do have uh, uh, alert mechanisms that goes through Kafka, so which can be consumed by other third party. So today we have various use cases that we have defined with uh, different vendors. The, for example, if you look at the SIM integrations, uh, security incident and event management systems, so when there are policy compliance events, that can be published to a SIM system so somebody can take an action based on that. Or uh, the process behavior analysis and those type of events can be integrated into the SIM systems. So the common SIM systems um, that we have seen are uh, the Splunk, uh, we have seen Curator as well. Uh, so the, we have uh, integrations, we have uh, right now if you look at it uh, overall from the ecosystem standpoint, uh, we have worked with almost uh, close to a uh, couple of dozen uh, ecosystem partners on different use cases. So on the SIM side, this is the alert consumption. And uh, there are uh, vendors or the technology partners that we are working with who are interested in policy consumption, uh, right, where titration in the latest release, we can even publish the policy out through the Kafka interface. Systems can subscribe to it and then uh, and then receive information based on that. We have worked with CMDB systems uh, in order to consume information as well as actually to provide them data about the application dependency mapping via the API. So there are uh, close to, as I said, uh, close to two dozen partner, technology partners that we have worked with. Uh, and some of them we have worked really closely with and we have even uh, uh, provided a certain reference implementation, all that, also uh, in order to consume the policy. So those, you, you will also see those uh, shortly uh, uh, coming from, because typically they can, uh, the, the technology partner controls the roadmap of their product. So it depends on their lifecycle, how they bring that out. Thank you. And actually I want to highlight, uh, use this opportunity to highlight some of the integrations that we have done with the load balancers in this new release. Um, if you look at it, um, F5 and NetScaler, we are able to consume uh, the IP fix information from these two load balancers in order to stitch the flows together. So that even a flow, when, when a flow goes through a middle box like a load balancer within the data center, typically you see separate flows, multiple separate flows with no correlation uh, with each other. So what we are doing is basically based on the data, based on this IP fix records that are coming out from these, uh, from these uh, Net F5 or Netscaler, Citrix Netscaler, titration platform correlates 
these flows and stitches them together to show that one end-to-end -end flow. And uh, that kind of flow stitching capability is really valuable from an operation standpoint, for troubleshooting standpoint, to look at, uh, uh, to identify any uh, issues with the load balancers or if the clusters are working correctly or if they have to uh, fine-tune any load balancing algorithms, all that. So it can be very valuable for a lot of different operations use cases. Sounds good. Um, I was thinking a bit about um, when you build policies in ACI, or sorry, in, in Titration, mm -hmm. uh, or, or when you, you do your applicant application dependency mapping, uh, are we only looking at IP addresses, or uh, what's the idea here? Um, I know there's integration with CMDB systems. Like, I would imagine that getting more information to the system would be a good thing. So. Absolutely. So what we do is actually we do provide a mechanism called annotations. Uh, because IP, IP addresses are ephemeral, right? So those things will change. And especially in the container world, actually, it, uh, the changes will be even, uh, the rate of change will be even higher. So we do have what are called as annotations. Annotations uh, allows customers to bring in additional information about their environment. And these can be automated integrations with um, orchestration systems like vCenter, so if customers are using VM attributes within the vCenter, for example, in the container world, um, we do pull in the container tags and everything from Kubernetes. Or it can be from other external systems um, as well, So which can be ingested via the API. So what these annotations for each um, server workload, basically we allow customers to bring in 32 different labels to convey the meaning of that workload. So for example, this is server A, a uh, customer may say server A is a production server in the location X in this data center used for this application in this tier. And if it is compliance, they can add the tags accordingly. So they can have, convey that information. And what happens is titration, as it collects the telemetry, it then adds these tags to the data and then stores it in the platform. So now customers and all the inventory, everything is tagged with those annotation tags. And now you can use this information as part of the policy. So you can say, if it is a production database, I want to have a certain set of policy rules. And the DB administrators can define those policies. Main advantages, actually, tomorrow you spin up a new VM, and the new VM, ha VM has the same tags, it will automatically inherit the same policy. You, will, you don't have to do anything manual there. And we use the same concept with the vulnerabilities as well. So with the latest release, customers can define policies based on the vulnerabilities or the vulnerability score. So the machines that automatically meets that vulnerability criteria will inherit the policy specific to that. So in this way, the IP addresses can come and go, but it is those higher level metadata that defines what the policy is. And uh, the policy gets adjusted, retuned, and um, uh, titration keeps it up to date constantly um, so that uh, there, is no, uh, there is no gaps. So if a new server comes up and it gets the same policy. So I'll a little bit about uh, vulnerabilities. Um, mm -hmm. 
how uh, how are those scores calculated? Are you matching processes to uh, the TV database, or what's going on there? Yeah, the, the, what we do is actually we uh, discover the software packages that are installed on the server. So we take an inside-out approach because we have the software sensors running on the servers. So Tetration software sensors collects the packages that are installed on the server, including the version number, version information, and the distributor, who's the distributor and all that. And then we compare that information to the known CVE database that's included in the platform today. And in the current release, we have 19 years worth of CVE data that is included, so we can go all the way. We go all the way back to 1999. So if there is a known vulnerability in that period, we will know about it, and uh, we flag that. And um, there are, uh, and then not only that, actually, you, once you have that vulnerability information, you can search the entire inventory set your data center to find out how many servers have the same score or the same vulnerability. So the score and everything is part of the CVE database. It, it already has a score assigned, not, not just that. Um, we have information about how this can be exploited. So, uh, so customers can understand that better and then they can put a plan in place to remediate these things and thereby reducing the attack surface. So this is based on the CVE database, and then we allow or the provide the necessary functionality for customers to map that back into the policy to take actions, either quarantine or restrict the communication of the server today. Gotcha. Uh, so the CVE database, is this something that's uh, continuously updated, or is this something that we manually add or just a couple of updates? Or? So in the... Uh, uh, what, where we are going is the continuous update model, uh, where um, customers uh, will be able to get the updated information every 24 hours. So that um, not in the current release, but that will be in the subsequent uh, release of the software. Okay, thanks. So I think Martin had something as well. Sure, next thing is, um, you have micro-isolation with ACI, and you have the enforcement client with titration. What's the plan for Cisco to what, what to use when and how to integrate them with each other? That's a very good question, and this is a common question that I get from customers as well. Uh, so if you look at uh, the data center security itself, what we believe is basically you, uh, customers need a multi-layer enforcement. A single layer enforcement never is not sufficient. So you need multiple layers because there are certain things that are done better than network infrastructure and all that. So the titration policy is designed in such a way that it can be consumed and orchestrated across that infrastructure layer. And if you look at the policy that it generates today, it is highly granular and uh, which is suitable for the enforcement in the workload because it is distributed, it scales well, and you can whitelist every east-west communication because there will be scenarios, especially in the container world, where certain communications will not even hit the network layer. And you, need, you, you, want, to, um, you want to be able to uh, control those as well. Right? And in the case of VMs as well, if there are two VMs on the same host, actually network is not going to even see that traffic. So that is, that is also there. So, you have the granular enforcement of the whitelist policy 
on the workloads itself using the operating system capabilities. And you can take the same policy. Basically, we can push the same policy into ACI. And um, the ACI can do a coarse-grained enforcement of the policy in the fabric. So there are certain traffic, for example, it can be traffic coming from different zones, or it can be traffic going across or starting from a fabric somewhere, or it's coming north-south, whatever it is. And if it doesn't have to come to the server, it can be handled in the fabric as well. So you get a coarse-grained enforcement of the ACI fabric that it does very well. And then, actually, we are also working with our um, firewall team, for example, to consume the same policy and orchestrate that as a firewall rule, as well as the perimeter and other portions in the zone boundaries. So um, the, the multi-layer enforcement really works well, and uh, it's, it's best for customers so that they have, even if there is some issue at one layer, you, already, you also have the second layer to protect. Okay, that would have been a follow-up question for um, if there are any integrations planned with StealthWatch or Firepower appliances. Yes, and actually, uh, that uh, let me take that broader security portfolio integration. So we are working with the multiple security products within Cisco from the integration standpoint for different use cases. It is StealthWatch, NextGen Firewall, Cisco Ice, um, and um, and other systems as well so we are we are also working to bring in the feeds uh, as well so you are going to see those things um uh, those things evolve in this calendar year and then uh, uh, be available to the customers and you will you will see those announcements and all that coming thanks how about you have more Oh, yeah, if we have time, <laughs> talk about this all day. Yeah, we um, have about uh, four minutes left, just an FYI. Yeah. Um, we, uh, we were discussing a little bit earlier here uh, about um, competitors. Uh, are there, what's the biggest um, competitor to, the, to these things in, uh, or to the situation that Cisco sees? Um, See, the, the, main, the main thing with the differentiation for titration is the comprehensive nature of uh, the, uh, the thing that we do, all right? Uh, from not just from the telemetry collection, but uh, there, um, from the policy generation, how we allow customers to bring that corporate policy, merge it together, and provide that uh, capability enforcement and the broad security and the network insights as well. So, so that's a comprehensive uh, uh, use cases that we bring in for different buying centers. So if you look at it, um, the, there are, I would say, point products that are specifically does certain things or portions of what titration does. Right? We don't, that's where um, the, the differentiation comes in. So for example, there are uh, players in the market who uh, say that, okay, we do the micro-segmentation type of things or the other segmentation terms that they may be using. So they may do, be, but segmentation, if you look at security, segmentation is only one dimension. You need to be, when you look at the holistic workload protection, you need to uh, address the other dimensions as well, like the process, the vulnerability and file access and all that has to be uh, addressed too. So we do see those point products, uh, but once customers, once they what we have seen is once customers see the value of titration, how we address it consistently across 
uh, virtual bare metal and containers and now actually if you look at it there are a number of uh, point products that are con uh, that are container specific either segmentation or container security alone but if you look at the uh, the customer data center, an enterprise data center, it can be small, medium, or large, doesn't matter. Usually customers have multiple different workload types. They don't have just containers, right? So they have VMs, they may have bare metals, um, they, may, uh, they may have containers as well. So whatever you do has to be addressed consistently across all these uh, workload types. Otherwise, uh, you are leaving your environment vulnerable. Actually, your environment is uh, only as secure as your weakest link. Right? That's it. Uh, so uh, unless you address this consistently, uh, it becomes a difficult challenge for customers. And that's what we have uh, seen with other uh, some of the other uh, players as well, where they have the solution available for a specific hypervisor, for example, and then as soon as you go into the public cloud and multi-public cloud, then what do I do there? I, I may not have an answer. Or I may have to look at a specific thing, siloed product for that with no correlation across. So yeah. that, that is where the titration uh, differentiates. So it's a platform that can consistently be used across all the infrastructure types, no matter where the workload is. Yeah, and that's what we're seeing at, uh, at our customers as well, that uh, workload types are different. You're not a single application data center uh, unless you're hosting one website, right? Um, and even then, you have other applications running behind that. So, Yep. Uh, I th think that's a good, um, a good, good overview to have the whole, whole thing covered. All right, guys, we are coming to the end of our call. It's top of the hour. Um, Jossie, thank you again for joining. Um, you're more than welcome to give us uh, your email, and then we'll hand it out to everybody, and we can give uh, some PowerPoint slides, too, just in case. But um, this has been an Episode 8 of Cisco Champions Radio Season 5 on Tetration. Um, I want to thank everybody. So Martin and Uvar, thank you for joining and hosting. We really appreciate it. And thank you, everyone else, for joining in and listening and asking questions. Um, if you have any more questions, please let us know. You know Andy's contact information and Brett. You can most certainly get in touch with them. Um, so thank you for everyone. And this has been a great episode. And look for the other ones on iTunes and blogs.cisco.com slash perspective. I'm Brianna Jordan. I play the part of today's moderator. Tune in next week, and in the meantime, we'll see you in the Twitterverse at Cisco Champions. Over and out for now. Thank you very much. <laughs>